Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, where we give you insights into the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Each episode will feature a new guest who will stimulate your mind and give you a greater understanding of yourself, others, and the world we live in. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into human possibility. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the podcast. very pleased to have Cheryl Strauss-Einhorn on the show. Cheryl is a media consultant, award-winning journalist, covering business, economic, and financial news, and a longtime educator as an adjunct professor at both the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism and at the Columbia Business School. Her latest book is called Problem Solved, a powerful system for making complex decisions with confidence and conviction. Hey, so glad to talk to you today, Cheryl. Thank you. So glad to be with you. Yeah, so I'm really glad to talk to you today. Tell me a little bit about your, like, tell me about yourself. You know, you're a very uh, multifaceted individual. Well, my background's in investigative journalism. I spent a decade as an editor and a columnist at Barron's, the business magazine. And while I was there, I sort of specialized in what you might call the bearish company story. Those are the stories where you take a skeptical look, maybe at a company's accounting or at their growth prospects. And that's really how I came up with my decision-making method. You know, these stories would have a big impact when they came out. The share price might fall, regulators might halt the stock, and there would be wide-reaching implications, not only economic implications for people portfolios, but also the human toll of people worrying about their job. And that sort of really made me uncomfortable. I don't know how else to say it. And I just started to think about, could there be a way for me to have better confidence and conviction in my own decision-making? And could I have a way to better understand the incentives and motivations of the sources who came to me with tips about stories? And at the same time, there was all this new research coming out about 
how we're all so mentally flawed that we have these assumptions, these biases and judgments that help us every day so that, you know, when we're in the cereal aisle at the supermarket, we don't have choice fatigue and we're not overwhelmed. But those same mental shortcuts that help us every day, they don't go away when we're solving complex problems. And so I really started thinking, you know, coming from my limited background, how could I sort of deal with this fact that I do have these mental flaws? And is there a way that instead of saying that I could ever have something like a beginner's mind where we just say we're going to be objective and so we're objective, I just started thinking about, is there a way that I could just go all in on this idea that I am flawed as a thinker? And that's really how I came up with my area method. Yeah, it sounds so important. I mean, are you going to help me today like be a make better decisions in my life? <laughs> well, look, the thing about decision making is it's this issue that in some ways just hides in plain sight, right? I mean, imagine if we all learn decision making. Is there anything that we do more frequently that really has higher stakes in our lives than the choices we make? And so I really, you know, I, I agree with you that we all deserve time and attention when we're solving for complex problems, because when we're dealing with an uncertain but important future hours, we need time for thoughtful reflection. Oh, absolutely. Is there also a time for making poor decisions, too? Well, you know, I think that depends. What I could say is we're all inconsistent decision makers, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, even if we have the exact same decision to make in two different circumstances, we might make it differently. Sometimes we know when we're making a poor decision, but we make it anyway. And sometimes we don't really know. And hopefully those are relatively small decisions because there are a lot of high stakes decisions in our lives personally and professionally. And by high stakes, I mean decisions that are going to have a long-term outcome where the outcome is also unknown and where the price for getting it wrong could be really costly. And that's when I think a system like this can really help you because there's sort of four updates to the research and pedagogy related to decision-making. The first one is that research is fundamental to decision-making. Most of the books that are out there on decision-making say do research or lump it together as a single step. But research is actually, as you well know, an umbrella term for a whole series of tricky steps that need to be thoughtfully and carefully navigated. So I break it down so it's not a black box and I give you an easy step-by-step -step logical progression to follow. The second update is this idea of working with our mental myopia, the flaws and shortcoming in our thinking, because a lot of the new books on this topic think of thinking fast and slow or Cialdini's influence. They tell us that we're flawed thinkers, but they don't tell us what to do about it. And so my area method, which is what my book Problem Solved introduces, is a perspective taking process so that you inhabit information in part based on the source. And it's a series of concentric circles going from what is essentially the target of the decision you need to make to the sources that are somewhat related to it and so on until you then finally turn your lens specifically in on yourself as a decision maker. But perspective taking actually gives you a two for one, because as you are looking from somebody else's perspective, you're thinking about their incentives and motives, and that has a mirroring effect that shows you to a certain extent, what do you think and feel about that information? And so the perspective taking is really, I think, the first system that can control for and counteract these cognitive biases. 
The third update is that I build strategic stops into the process. Because just as you were saying, a lot of times we rush to judgment, but we know that what we really need is thoughtful reflection. And we don't even always know what to do during those pauses. So I build strategic stops in that tell you what to do when I ask you to pause by giving you sets of information about where to look for data or to collect information. And then I also give you tips on what kind of analysis do you want to do with what you have. And then the final thing is that it's a feedback loop because not all investigations are linear, nor should they be. And so we need constant reentry points where we need new information or new analysis. Hmm. Basically, you just went through your model, the four factors without um, the area model. Well, the area method, area is an acronym for the four steps of the process. So what I gave you were, was really the value proposition for it. But the process itself, the letters stand for the different parts of the process. So A is absolute information. It's information collected from the target of your decision. The R relative are secondary and tertiary sources, sources somehow related to your decision. The E in area is actually two E's, and I call them the twin engines of creativity. Area exploration is about getting beyond document-based sources to help you identify good prospects and great questions. The people who you think could give you information to help you understand your situation and what types of questions to ask them that broadens your research breadth. And then area exploitation, which turns its lens inward on you as a decision maker to go deeper into how you think about your evidence versus your assumptions. And the exploitation part is filled with exercises that I learned from other disciplines, such as intelligence gathering and journalism and medicine. And then the final A analysis helps you think about solvability and mistakes and then puts all the pieces back together so that you can come to conviction on your decision. Gotcha. So the value proposition part you're talking about was relating more to the what you call cheetah pauses. Well, the cheetah pauses, that's what I call the strategic stops. And the reason why I call them you cheetah pauses- You got a name pauses, for everything. <laughs> I tried to come up with terms that hopefully could resonate with people. Yeah. But the reason why I call the strategic stops cheetah pauses is because the cheetah's prodigious hunting skill is not its ability to accelerate like a race car. It's actually its ability to decelerate by up to nine miles an hour in a single stride. And in hunting, that's a better skill than accelerating like a race car because it builds in agility and maneuverability. And that's what a good research and decision-making process needs, flexibility and agility. Absolutely. So this is um, a good sort of model you laid out. Can we get into some degree details? You have some really vivid examples in your book that we could talk about some of them that are based on your consulting experiences, right? Well, sure. I mean, the book follows four stories so that as you're learning about the theory, you can understand it in practice and hopefully through the four stories, you can see yourself in the parts of the process that the stories take you through so that you can see its direct applicability to your situation. So one of the stories that I think many high school students around the world just went through was, how do you choose the right college? And there was this young boy, Micah, and he was deciding between two very different college options, Johns Hopkins with no financial aid and Pitt with some financial aid. And he knew that he wanted to be a doctor. So for him, he was very interested in the pre-med program. He had already done 
some research in a lab. And so in his A area of his process, he actually looked and defined his targets as the binary choice that he had, Johns Hopkins and Pitt. And then what a couple of the steps in that process ask you to do is to collect information directly from those targets. So where do we start nowadays? We start on the computer. So he went to the website for both of the schools. Then he saw that Hopkins showcases this very august history, all the Nobel Prize winners that have worked at the school. And it was really showing you that if you went to Hopkins, you would be part of this rich history. And that was exciting to Micah. When he looked at Pitt's website and its fact book, it displayed entirely different facts. It told you right off the bat what the student-teacher ratio was, what different types of opportunities and clubs there were for the students, and it really showcased a student experience. And so depending upon which of these two visions you looked at, you would see that you were buying really very different opportunities. In his relative research, getting beyond his basic targets, some of the steps that are involved in that are understanding how other people think and feel about the two schools. So he checked U.S. News and World Report to see how the schools and medical schools were ranked for each school. He also went on to College Confidential to see what the students were saying about the opportunities at those schools. He checked Rate My Professor, which talked about the teachers who taught the pre-med courses that Micah would be signing up for. And then in his exploration work, when he started to actually talk to people and get beyond the document-based sources, he reached out to the undergraduate advisory office for pre-med students at both of the schools. He also reached out to current students and alumni. Could you get undergraduate research opportunities? What were they like? Would the students recommend them? And what he realized by actually talking to people was how important the undergraduate advisory office was to the success of the students in getting through the pre-med requirements. And in the exploitation phase, as he began to turn his lens in on himself to look at his assumptions versus his evidence, what he realized is that he had actually been framing the problem incorrectly. It wasn't which college should he choose. It was which college would actually help him get to medical school. Because he realized that if he couldn't get through those very difficult pre-med requirements, he wasn't going to be able to realize his dream. And so it drove him back into the process to again talk to the advisory office for pre-med students and to talk to more students at each of the schools to find out What role did that advisory office play? How supportive and accessible was it? And he ultimately, in analysis, came to a very unexpected decision, which was he felt that he was going to choose Pitt because at that time, he was learning that their pre-med office had a much more robust and accessible group of faculty to help the students through. And then he conducted a pre-mortem, which basically says, well, how could this decision fail? Even now that I think I know what I'm going to do, how could it fail? And so he was able to be able to creatively think about how it might fail. And that gave him a series of markers by which he could look for as signposts, even once he went to Pitt, and where he could also set up safeguards to prevent his decision from failing. So it was a very unexpected outcome that he came to that he certainly wouldn't have not gotten to had he just 
made the decision based on the pure reputations of the schools at the outset. Oh, that's great. Can that apply equally to choosing a marriage partner? (laughs) So I've been asked that before, and here's what I would say. Some decisions should be a leap of faith, right? Some decisions are really about emotion, and a rational decision-making system isn't going to do you any good. Marriage has so many different pieces to it that the commitment is not necessarily a rational commitment. And so sometimes you just want to take a leap of faith and you should probably be guided by your emotions as opposed to a decision-making system. Okay, fair enough. So you're dealing mostly with decisions that seem to have some sort of objectivity to it, uh, like a rational objectivity like that we can figure out. I mean, how can you like figure out which domains are more suitable to this than others? Well, you know, I would say that that's an assumption, right? Because one of the main stories in the book is just this incredibly heartwarming story about a fellow named John Christopher who founded the Oda Foundation in Nepal. And he had moved to Nepal shortly after he graduated. His mother died in his senior year, and he really just wanted to do something to help people. And he noticed when he was working in a school in Nepal in a very rural area that all sorts of students were missing school and dying for things where, you know, we had Tylenol or very simple solutions to. And so he ended up setting up a basic healthcare charity, even having no medical background. And he was at the point ready to expand. And a college buddy of his was one of my former students and had sent him my textbook that I had written back in 2011 that I use for teaching at Columbia at both the business school and the graduate school of journalism. So he came to meet me in the halls of the business school, asking me if I would do this project for him to help him figure out his growth strategy. And I said, yes. And then two days later, the devastating earthquake hit Nepal. And all of a sudden, he needed this plan yesterday. And he was also going to have a very interesting structural advantage. The world's healthcare charities were going to be landing on the tarmac in Kathmandu. And he was going to get one opportunity to meet with them and to ask them to vertically integrate to allow him to help many more people very quickly because he was already there. And he needed to show them a strategic plan that he not only had confidence in, but that he felt had a very good chance of succeeding. And the reason why I point this out is that he had all sorts of assumptions that he just wasn't going to be able to find data that was going to really help inform him about his growth strategies, especially given that in many emerging economies, the data sets are just incomplete or it's very hard to trust them, right? Maybe they're outdated. And so one of the things by going through this system and with the help of the cheetah sheets in these strategic stops is he really found opportunities to triangulate the information that he couldn't get directly from Nepal so that he could get enough information and of the right kind and identify enough good prospects who had done projects in other emerging economies amidst a very volatile backdrop such as a natural disaster so that he could actually put together a growth strategy that not only was incredibly surprising, the one that he thought he would choose was the one where his charity had the most expertise and was in their core competency. If he had chosen that, he actually, through the process, recognized he would have bankrupted his charity. And instead, he came to an extremely unexpected outcome that 
Mm. not only succeeded, but where by the time he went back to Kathmandu to meet up with all these charities landing there, he was able to bring to a whole new group of donors who he had never been able to reach out for before based on the adjacencies and the triangulation of the information so that he had fully funded the plan for his growth strategy. And he also had raised more money than the entire history of his organization's existence. Wow. And so he owes a bit of that to your program? Well, he had never used a system like this before. And it was only because we had used the area method. I mean, here he is, this, you know, brilliant young hero, right? Helping people in a very far away place. And he had been succeeding through his hard work and his creativity and his intelligence. And yet he had never sat down to do a really thoughtful and systematic research process where he was going to make a decision at the end of it. Gotcha. So this is helpful. I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea of like, there's this thing as objectively poor decisions. It's very contextual and personalized based on what are your higher level goals. What makes, well, I think, yeah, right? Well, look, I think that's exactly right. The other thing I would say about my area method is it inverts the entire process of decision making. Many people feel very anxious when they're faced with a complex problem, right? They don't know how to start or they have a big decision to make. How do they start? How do they really know what a thoughtful system looks like? And so what I say with the area method is don't focus on the problem. This is a much easier question for most people. What to you constitutes a successful outcome? Most people can answer that. They can say to you, I know what's success for me personally. And then once you create a vivid picture of your success by inverting the problem, you now simply need to tell the story of that success. And so now I say to you, okay, now that you understand your success, identify what I call your critical concepts. Those are the one, two, or three things that really matter to you in the outcome. Don't do some open-ended research project. That's not gratifying. Instead, deeply and creatively investigate your critical concepts, those one, two, or three things that really matter to you in the outcome so that you can uniquely solve your problem for your own picture of success. Good. I like that. I like that, your own picture of success. So what's new about this model? You obviously um, drew on ideas of Kahneman and others about fast and slow thinking and stuff like that, but tell me what's new about it. So the things that are new are the four things that I outlined before. It is the fact that research is fundamental to decision-making, that the perspective-taking is a new way to control for and counteract our cognitive bias, that I have these strategic stops, the cheetah pause is built in so that you've got time for thoughtful reflection and that you know what to do during the stops because the cheetah sheets give you lists either for where to collect new information or how to analyze it. And then the fourth part being that the area method is a feedback loop. Those are the four things that I think are new. And the inversion of the problem itself. Right, right, right. Yeah, the point you just made. That's great. You know, how does this relate to empathy? Well, so perspective taking is all about empathy, right? By walking in somebody else's shoes and better understanding their incentives and motives, you are basically building a way to better connect and be more relational. And you're also checking your ego so that you can be more mindful of the world around you. And that really is about creating a way where we can get along better 
with other people. I was talking before about how decision making is one of these things that can really make your life more meaningful. It really does give you the opportunity to have greater agency over your life and, and therefore really to interact with other people in a more empathic way. No, I can definitely see that. Also, you know, there's definite linkages here to creativity, right? Absolutely, because I think research is also very much about creativity, right? It is very much about being able to recognize that even when you don't think that there is data that can be brought to a situation that you can, and then in the exploration phase, I think this whole idea of reaching out to people and getting beyond document-based sources is very much coming up with great questions. And those kind of questions that uniquely answer, what kind of information do I really need? And what would I do with that information if I were to collect it? And I think these are really nice ways that people don't even recognize that they have a lot of creativity. And I think it can bring a real sense of, again, agency and confidence building. When you feel like you can solve your high stakes decisions well, because there's two kinds of learning, right? There's knowledge and there's skill. And the nice thing about a research and decision-making system is I can teach it to you and then it can become yours and you can decide which of the steps you want to try and you can make it your own. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely uh, would want to make this my own. Personally, I, out of the four things, there's some things that uh, excite me more than others, like exploration. Uh, excites me more than analysis, even though I uh, can (laughs) admit that they're both important. I can admit it. So here's what I would say about that. First of all, the exploration chapter is, you know, clearly one of my favorites because of my background in investigative journalism. I have an interview formula, GP plus GQ equals IQ, good prospects, the sources who you identify, plus great questions equals your interview quality. And I think what's really nice is that The area method for me is not just about a decision-making system. It's really become my operating system for thinking because it addresses both the human behavior aspect of social performance and it has the metric aspect, the evaluation of decision-making. And so I find that really very reassuring for me to be able to have both pieces together. What I would say is my students often complain about the exercises initially, and then they do them. Yes. And then they do them and they say, you know what? I now understand something that I never understood before. And the exploitation phase where I put in there a couple of these great exercises from some other really smart people, such as a competing alternative hypothesis exercise, which I got from Richard Hoyer, who used to run the intelligence gathering part of the CIA. And then I also use Ben Franklin's pro-con list. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yes. So I'll tell you what I like about that, but that many people don't really follow with integrity. So the pro-con list is very simple, right? One side of the ledger, you write down all the reasons why you want to make the decision. And the con size, you write down all the reasons that you don't like, but it's not that simple. Because if you're really going to do this in a high fidelity way, everything that's on the pro side of the ledger, you have to address on the negative side so that you see both sides of the coin for each piece of information that you are evaluating. 
So I recommend to everybody that you keep what I call an area journal. And this clearly comes from lots of other smart people who have said the same thing before me. I recommend that you keep either an electronic journal, you can keep it as a Word document, soon you will be able to use my app for it, or you can just commit it to paper. And the reason why I recommend that you write down the different steps of the process that you go through and that you enter into it all of your information is because we as human beings, one of our great mental flaws is that we tend to have evolving hypotheses. Now, that's not that useful when we're solving complex problems right? We right. want to keep ourselves from allowing ourselves to completely move the goalpost, right? Once we decide what our vision of success is, we want to stay focused on that and on our critical concept. And we do want to iterate it over time, but we also want to create an audit trail that not only holds us accountable, but that later on when we face another big decision that we need to make, we can begin to build a book of ourselves as a decision maker and see what our strengths are and where our potential blind spots are. What did we do well? What was really creative that we did? And in another place, where did we collect information that we thought was meaningless and turned out to have great import, but we missed it? And that happens so often when we're solving complex problems. Oh, that sounds helpful. Are you selling the journal as like uh, maybe with prompts and stuff? So right now I have for free on my website, my website is areamethod.com, a web-based app that is called Problem Solved. And when you click on it, you can take a short personality quiz about yourself as a decision maker that will then give you what I call your problem solver profile, which is basically your decision maker archetype. And I broke decision maker archetypes down into sort of five different types of archetypes. And then what I do is I give you a template that basically says, if you are a thinker or a detective or an adventurer, here's the strengths of being that kind of a decision maker. And then here's your potential blind spots where I outline a couple of the key cognitive biases that might be most relevant for your archetype. And then I tell you about a historical figure who is an archetype and problem solver like you and why he or she fits that particular archetype. And then you can use your archetype to help you begin to use the area method electronically to solve a high stakes problem. And right now I'm only in version 1.0. So I basically give you then, as you start to solve your problem, I give you a couple of cheetah sheets tailored to your archetype. And over time, as people use this and fill out the evaluation, what I'd like to do is to make the cheetah sheets and to make the app more interactive and to make it more useful for you and other users who come to the site to use the app. Oh, that sounds super helpful. You know, look, it's really been very exciting. And I recently did something very exciting with the area method, which is I worked with the Future Project, which is a Ooh. national not-for-profit in our nation's high schools. And they asked me if I would develop a boot camp to test out teaching the area method and teaching decision-making to high school students. So about a month ago, we got together a whole bunch of students from Newark and from Brooklyn, and we did a Sunday boot camp, three and a half hours, to teach them parts of the area method. And it was such a rewarding experience because at the end of it, 100% of them said that it was valuable. 100% of them also said they'd recommend it to somebody else. 
So I initially developed the app to think about where do you meet high school students? And as the mom of three teenagers, (laughs) (laughs) you often meet them through their phone. So that's how I initially got started on that. And we're now working on rolling this out nationally into a four-year curriculum for high school students. Okay. Well, that's super exciting. And and of course, that's how we got introduced to each other is through Andrew Mangino from The Future Project. They are big fans of yours. And now I am. (laughs) I feel the the same way too. And same here. Yeah. And now I am a fan too. Cheryl, Cheryl, really congratulations on this book. And I'm sure that it'll be a lot of value to our listeners. And yeah, just thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you so much, Scott. It's really been terrific. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. I hope you found this episode just as thought-provoking as I did. If something you heard today stimulated you in some way, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com. That's thepsychologypodcast.com. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.